0: Hello, listeners. Before we begin, a few brief content warnings. This episode contains profanity, general discussion of violence and death, discussion of racism, especially colonialist violence and Orientalism, brief mentions of sexual assault, and brief mentions of incest. Please take care of yourself while listening. And now, here we go. And welcome to Classically Trained, the podcast where we discuss modern media that depicts the ancient Mediterranean world, its peoples, and its stories. I am Julia, your resident Greek literature specialist and linguist ish. And I'm Allison, uh, your resident Roman archaeologist. And today we are discussing the 2000 film Gladiator, directed by Ridley Scott. We are. Well, okay, let's put it this way, I have nothing to say about this film But I'll give a, I'll give a Actually, that's not true Anytime I've ever said in my life that I don't have an opinion about something It's been a fucking lie I mean, you have an opinion about everything
1: Yeah So I, yeah, you, you have Anyway, regardless of whether or not you have
0: things to say Yeah I sure have things to say Yes, so. it's your moment to shine, Allison <laughs> But before you, before you take us into the depths of whatever the fuck is going on with this one we should have a little summary Gladiator produced in 2000 and directed by Ridley Scott starring Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix tells the story of Maximus a general in Marcus Aurelius's armies in approximately 180 CE is that where they placed it yeah roughly okay at the end of Marcus Aurelius's life after Maximus has helped him secure the conquest of of uh, Germania which yeah, roughly Germany ish. Marcus Aurelius indicates that he intends after his death for the title of Caesar to pass to Maximus, so that Maximus can restore the Roman Republic and return power to the people. However, Marcus Aurelius is murdered by his son Commodus before that transfer of power can happen. Commodus becomes Caesar, and attempts to have Maximus and his family executed. His family gets executed. (laughs) Maximus, however, survives ends up becoming enslaved, and eventually becomes a gladiator. With the help of his, his now-owner, a former gladiator himself named Proximo, Maximus returns to Rome to show up Commodus and uh, make an attempt on his life. Commodus's sister Lucilla and a senator named Gracchus attempt to facilitate Maximus's escape from the Colosseum cells so that he can muster an army and seize control of Rome by force. However, Commodus discovers their plot, has Maximus and Gracchus arrested, and stages a duel between himself and Maximus in the Colosseum. Maximus is able to overpower Commodus during the fight and kills him, but ultimately succumbs to a wound inflicted by Commodus before the fight started. Maximus orders that the power over Rome be returned to the Senate and then dies. And that's that's it. That's what happens in the movie.
1: So I'm I'm curious. Had you seen this movie before? No, I'd never seen this okay. movie before. So I so it came out in 2000. Which, for reference, we were both four in mm-hmm. 2000. In fact, I was three for most of two. We were no, both. You, no, you were four for most of two. No, I can't do math. No, you're correct. We, we were, were both. Three. We were
0: both three for like 90 percent of <laughs> yeah, 2000. Yeah, no, I can't do math. We're both 96 babies, and we are both December 96 yep. babies. So neither of us were humans Yes, when this movie um, came out. But I
1: did see this movie as a child for some reason, which astounds me because it's an R-rated movie. It's very violent. Yeah. And I don't know, I feel like I was, like, I didn't obviously see it when I was three, but I don't think I was older than 10 or 11 when I saw this movie. And I'm shooketh that my parents, like, showed this movie to me as a child because it is so unbelievably violent.
0: yeah. I feel like I maybe saw, like, parts of this movie at some point. I, like, when I was growing up, I definitely was just, like, my father would fall asleep on the couch with whatever playing on the Mm. TV, and I would just sit there watching it, entranced. I definitely saw some things as a kid that I probably would not have seen otherwise, because I there was no supervision. (laughs) However... I I don't think I ever saw this movie from beginning to end. Or if I did, it immediately went out of my brain.
1: Yeah, I distinctly remember, like, there's these shots of, like, Maximus, like, running his hand through the wheat for some reason. Like, that is what's the one thing that, like, stuck
0: in my head. See, I've just seen a lot of GIFs of this movie. Oh, okay. And I... Particularly that GIF, the GIF of Commodus, like, giving the thumbs down Mm. is a meme. So I've seen it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I
1: just sort of, like, before watching this movie this time around, I just vaguely remember that people kind of thought it was a good movie. Like, that's all that I yeah. sort of so, know about it.
0: Yeah, actually, let me just look this up real quick. What? what? I might know the answer. Oh, I'm going to like look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I already did that.
1: Oh. Yes. Great. Um, yeah, so and I cuz I was curious about like what the critical reception of this was at the time, so I looked it up on Metacritic, and it seems like a lot of people there was a good chunk of people who had an overall positive view of it, but then also like a good number of mixed reviews as well. It wasn't like as universally lauded of a film as I thought it was, which I feel like it makes sense after having watched this.
0: Yeah, and like looking at these reviews and particularly comparing like Google user reviews and Rotten Tomatoes, like tomato meter versus the audience score, it seems like it was overall like a significantly better received by the general public than it was by critics. Yes. The critical response, which I mean it's a pulp action movie in a lot of ways. Yeah,
1: it, it that makes sense for, like, what the content of the movie is.
0: Yeah. Um, Before we go any further, since we're already talking about this, we should say whether we liked it.
1: Do you want to go first?
0: Yeah, uh, sure. It was fine. I didn't hate this movie. It was not insufferable to watch. It was too long, yeah. and I kind of got bored about two-thirds of the way through because I could tell where it was going, and I was just mm-hmm. like... I'm not entranced enough by... The fighting, Like, the action choreography is good. The fight scenes are pretty fun to watch. Yeah. And they do a good job with that stuff. But I'm not enough of a, like, fan of action films that that managed to keep hold of me enough that the dragging of the plot was, like, forgivable. And I was just like, you know what? It's fine. There were scenes that I kind of enjoyed. There were scenes that made me want to die while I was watching them. We'll talk about that. And beyond that, like... It was fine.
1: Yeah. Basically sort of what I feel about this movie is this movie, I think this movie is largely successful at what it's trying to do. I just don't like what it's trying to do. Yeah. Which is tell a very like basic revenge narrative with like a dramatic historical setting. Yeah That's the movie I'm It doesn't Which we'll we'll, I think we'll get into this later More sort of why Like the narrative Is not particularly compelling
0: Yeah this is the thing Is like And I think this is why It didn't have great critical reception Is that like It doesn't have a very complicated plot There aren't very many Really interesting characters Even Maximus is like A pretty bland protagonist When I watch movies like this where What you have is this kind of Everyman protagonist who just wants To like go back to his life I just spend the entire movie Screaming leave him alone Like why the fuck Did any of this have to happen to this guy It's all other people's bullshit Getting projected onto him And it's really frustrating to watch For that reason Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like none of this had to happen Commodus could have just been like Bye, bitch. Go back to your farm. And it would have been fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, This movie, you know what this movie, like, visually reminded me a lot of was Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah. Like, it's it, definitely in this era of, like, early 2000s, like, epic action filmmaking.
1: Yeah. And I, I, especially, like, the beginning of the movie has a lot of really great... Scenes that are that are like fully using practical effects, and yeah. it's, it's
0: really impressive. Even though CGI doesn't look that bad. Well,
1: so there's some there's certain the first like major CGI we see looks pretty bad, but like honestly, it's
0: two thousand like that's completely forgivable. This movie came out more than twenty years ago. Yeah, so
1: the fact that like some of the like fully CG shots look not great is fine. Yeah. Um, but like yeah, I miss practical like large scale sort of practical effects like nowadays a lot of, like, I I feel like I'm so used to seeing, like, Avengers movies where, like, basically everything is done in CGI because it looks
0: fine. Yeah.
1: But, like, I don't know. There's a particular flavor to, like, the the, these, like, large-scale And if you compare
0: this movie to a movie that I ended up thinking about a bit, we'll come back to this a little later, too, because I have some other thoughts, but something that came up, and I ended up looking this up, A movie that came out only a year before this was The Mummy. Oh,
1: interesting. Okay. The
0: Mummy was 1999, and it is a similar genre of, like, semi-historical, sort of mythology-informed action-adventure film Mm -hmm. with some mix of practical effects and CGI. And I just, like, for some reason, The Mummy, like, carries it a little bit better. But, of course, The Mummy also has more CGI because they have a mummy.
1: Yeah, but the mummy is also a fun movie. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> the Gladiator th- is not a fun movie.
0: Yeah, gla- yeah, <laughs> mu- the mummy is extremely pulpy. Yeah. Gladiator would be a better movie if it were pulpy. Yeah. But I it takes itself true. too seriously. Yeah. Mhm.
1: Okay, well, before we sort of like get into the nitty-gritty of you know, stuff about the plot and characters, and whatever weird petty gripes we have this week, I kind of a wanna, few, yeah. <laughs> Who we have a you few. know, we I, we always have petty gripes mm-hmm. because we're
0: petty people. <laughs> what is life without a little pettiness? Yeah, a little pettiness, a little spite,
1: <laughs> <laughs> little little unreasonable rage. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get into like a little bit of the actual history of the time period that this is set, and just because I think it's interesting. So. Um, which a lot of people probably don't know about this period because it's not actually a very, like, popular period for setting historical stuff, is, like, this is basically, this is an alt-history plot. Yes. None of this happened.
0: Okay, Um, that was going to be my first question for you, which was, does this have any resemblance to what was kind of going on politically during this period? So... Yes and no. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I'll just go do a quick
1: little rundown of what was actually going on. Give us the historical overview. This film portrays Marcus Aurelius as a philosopher, which he was, and he he was a stoic he, right he, well sort of according to oxford companion to the classical world he had there were a lot of stoic elements in his philosophy but he was also using other well i stuff. mean so, yeah, yeah we are well
0: of... past the the flourishing of the, of stoic philosophy yeah. as a school but he was definitely influenced yeah. by them i i do know you, that much yeah do you want to explain
1: what stoic philosophy is
0: um yeah so it was a school of philosophy that originated in i believe in the hellenistic period I'm i just sp- thought plato I'm, was a stoic no Oh, Plato was a platonic.
1: <laughs> God, just kill me.
0: Just end my life right now. No, Plato was his own guy. Don't put that in.
1: <sighs> my grandfather is a philosophy pre- professor. This is so embarrassing yeah, for stoicism, me. I don't know stoicism
0: Stoicism was founded by a guy named Zeno oh. in the early 3rd century BCE. So this was like the mid Hellenistic period. And Stoicism as a philosophy largely, kind of, it teaches that you should develop, like, self-control and fortitude in the face of misfortune and kind of allowing, uh, trying to, like, be objective about things and, like, Understand that what you have control over in life is your own thoughts and your own actions and not really anything else. So there's this kind of element of, like... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the core of it. We don't have to get yeah. into a lot mm-hmm. of details. I will say Stoicism is interesting, and we may end up coming back to it in later stuff because it was really popular amongst a lot of pretty major figures in the Roman Empire, and... It has also seen a bit of a resurgence in the modern day in, mm. like, alt-right circles mm. online. Shout out to Donna Zuckerberg's Not All Dead White Men. She has a chapter on stoicism in the alt-right. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Um, yeah, so... But
0: Marcus Aurelius was not a red pill dude. No.
1: Well, I mean, he was a <laughs> Roman emperor, so he was terrible, but... All wrong yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Just to preface this. But yeah, so his, his philosophy does, like this story at the beginning, you know, we see Marcus Aurelius sort of talking about how like power is bad and he's worried about Commodus because he's going to be a bad emperor. So Mar- Marcus Aurelius did apparently actually discuss in his uh, philosophy like stuff like the temptation of power. So that stuff is like vaguely sort of accurate.
0: So... Correct me if I'm wrong, but Marcus Aurelius was the last of the five good emperors. Yes. Good big air quotes emperors, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: And so we'll we'll talk about good emperors in a bit. Okay. Yeah, I've got that further. I got that further down the list. The concept of good emperors. All right. Um. But yeah. So and he did do a bunch of military campa- campaigns. The exact specifics of his military campaigns, I'm not going to go into because they're complicated and, and it I don't understand matter. them. And yeah. So it doesn't matter. <sighs> but yeah. So that part is ba- vaguely accurate. However, where we take a sharp left turn is. Marcus Aurelius did actually leave the empire to Commodus, because of course he left the empire to his son. Now, it wasn't uncommon for emperors to actually like make somebody who's not their natal well, this son...
0: Is, well, this is the thing, and I... This is something that I do know is that one of the things about the quote unquote five good emperors is that we had five emperors in a row who did not acquire the emperor the the empire by natal inheritance. All of them were adopted.
1: Yes. So well this is kind of true like often Roughly. Yeah. So basically like none of none of the five good emperors were the person's natal son. However, a lot of them were sort of indirectly related. And it was pretty common among upper upper echelons of Roman society to like adopt an heir from like your cousin or whatever. Say your cousin has five sons and you don't have any sons. Well, you get one of your cousin's sons. You adopt him. He's now your son. And then he becomes the emperor. So that's pretty common. But like if you did actually happen to have a, a natal son then it, it made sense for that person to be emperor. However, usually when this happens, it seems to go very badly. Well, um, th-
0: I mean, and this is the problem with natal inheritance is yeah. that it it disallows choosing somebody who's going to be good at the job.
1: Yeah, it it is really astounding just how 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 much this goes badly in in Roman politics, like. The, the Roman imperial system seems like especially violent, even compared to other sort of like hereditary imperial systems. So yeah, he Marcus Aurelius did not prevent his son from becoming emperor, and so Commodus co-ruled with his father before his father's death in one one eighty, and then he became sole emperor. And at first, he retained his father's counselors because his father there were a bunch of like ministers that. His father had who were like experienced and could have helped him out. But then in 182, there was an assassination attempt, and this assassination attempt did involve his sister Lucilla.
0: Okay, so she's a real person. Yeah,
1: so she's a real person. Lucilla really was actually his sister. She did, she was allegedly involved in an assassination attempt. The two historians who talk about this are both Greek historians, um, Herodian and Cassius Dio. They're both writing, I don't know, maybe like. A little bit after this is all happening. Just gonna say, isn't years, it's not too much after. Oh, okay, Athens, I thought than- Cassius
0: Dio was later than that, but that- so
1: they're all, they're both late second century to sort of early third mid third century. So less than hundred years because that's okay. one eighty. So right. I think they're you know writing like twenty to fifty years later. That's pretty good. So yeah, they, they're, it's pretty recent. They both offer different reasons for why Lucilla is trying to murder her brother. Cassius Dio says that Lucilla hates her husband, so she has him try to kill Commodus, which I don't totally get. But then Herodian says it's out of jealousy. She is allegedly jealous of her brother's wife, Crispina, so she wants to do a murder plot. Neither of their explanations make a lot of sense. Okay. They're probably... Who knows?
0: (laughs) And to be clear, both Commodus and Lucilla were married to other people. Yes. And not fucking.
1: There's no... In in either of these sources, there is no implication of incest. Which is...
0: So they (laughs) just... They just decided to invent some incest. As for this far as film. I can tell,
1: yes. They okay.
0: Do. So, to be clear for the listener, in the film, there's kind of a subplot where Lucilla is like romantically fixated. She's like got a thing for Maximus. Yes. And Commodus is really mad about this. So, he's not only jealous that his father liked Maximus better than. Better than Marcus Aurelius liked him, but he's also jealous because he has a weird Freudian fixation on his sister, and he, like, wants to have sex with her, I guess. It's kind of... They make it a little ambiguous, but, like, it's very much a thing. And, yeah, so he's also, like, sexually jealous of Maximus, and it's like, why would you... Every single scene where Commodus is, like, molesting his sister... Made me viscerally uncomfortable Oh yeah,
1: it's it's awful, it's really gross
0: And they, so they really didn't Need to do that, they invented that Yes Great, because from what I understand And so maybe you're about to get mm-hmm. to this From what I understand, Commodus Kind of sucked
1: Oh, so Commodus, this is a tame Version of Commodus that they are presenting So according to these two historians And again, with our Roman Historical sources, you you Have to take them with a grain
0: of salt They're basically Um, gossip columnists.
1: Yes, they're more or less gossip columnists. But these people are writing, like, relatively close afterwards. And, you know, they're writing for an audience. So they probably weren't totally whole scale making stuff up. But apparently Commodus, yeah, after this assassination attempt um, against him in 182, he just goes completely off the rails. Like, he gets... So what's interesting about this is... There's a part at the very end of the movie where Commodus goes down into the ring to, like, fight Maximus. Commodus was super into performing as a gladiator, which is, like, a completely nutso thing for a Roman emperor to do, because, like... Being know. a gladiator is really dangerous, and people died, yeah. Well, but also, like, that it's a, this is a low-status job. Yeah. Like, this is not a thing that Roman emperors are supposed to be doing, right? So, yeah, he, he really just, yeah, decides that's what he wants to do with his time... And a a lot of senators end up getting killed. I don't know if it's specifically that he orders their deaths, or if that the people he's basically letting run the empire (laughs) order their deaths. But eventually, people are like, some relatively powerful people are like, okay, this is getting out of control. We need to kill him. And so they kill him. There's a bunch of political turmoil after this because they assassinate Commodus because he went off the rails.
0: So they really didn't need to invent some incest. He was already bad. Yeah. And it's, it's,
1: like, he, they don't really, they just sort of present him here as, like, a whiny little incest lover. Yeah. Whereas, like, they totally could have presented him as an off-the-rails guy in a way that's more interesting. Because, like, the source material's interesting, right? Like, they had yeah. a lot to work with. Also, apparently Maximus was inspired, and I put this in air quotes because inspired is a pretty loose term, by somebody called Marcus um, Nonius Macrinus, who was a Roman senator and also a general and who was an advisor to Marcus Aurelius. But it sounds like this Marcus dude had a totally nice life and nothing bad happened to him. The only similarity is that he was a general who was an advisor to (laughs) Marcus Aurelius. So like, oh boy, inspired, I don't know what the deal is there. But yeah. If we want to circle back to Commodus being a quote-unquote bad emperor, there's this sort of conception among the historians who are writing about the Roman Empire at the time that certain emperors are good emperors and certain emperors are bad emperors. Big air quotes around both good and bad. Yes. So, for example, Caligula, who I'm sure you have all heard of, was a bad emperor, There's another emperor called Domitian, who was a bad emperor. Commodus is obviously a bad emperor. Like we said, Marcus Aurelius was the last of the five good emperors. And these distinctions have less to do with what the emperors actually did and
0: more to do with the political climate of the empire. Yeah, and like the degree to which the Empire was in turmoil at the end of their reign because all of these guys managed to end their reign with the Empire, like, more or less under control. Yeah. And, like, it's not like none of them ever had to deal with revolts or did, like, bad, violent shit. One of the good emperors was Hadrian, and Hadrian can fuck himself as far as I'm concerned as a Jew.
1: Yeah, no, it's (laughs) interesting because the good emperors are presented as very like oh like they expanded the empire they did all these good things for the empire and then the bad emperors were like corrupt and did all of the stuff that was violent and
0: weird but they were all violent and bad like all the Roman
1: emperors were violent even the
0: quote unquote good emperors were doing an awful lot of imperialism yeah
1: this is a big thing that like the historians who are writing the time how this is like how they are presenting certain emperors so yeah, so, that's that's one thing to think about when we've when we're talking about Commodus. Although yeah, like it seems like, and you know, I am not an expert on this period, but the fact that we do have two historians telling the same story, like not that long after Commodus's death, and these two people were like alive during Commodus' reign, probably indicates that there was actually something weird going on with this guy. <laughs> like he probably there, it's, yeah, there was probably shit going down that was like not optimal with Commodus.
0: So, since we're kind of already on the topic of, like, what was the actual deal in antiquity, let's carry on with that for a second if we can, because I would like to talk about gladiators.
1: Yes, oh, I've got a whole section about gladiators here. Yeah, this feels like
0: an extension of what we're already talking about. So, so, like, I have two specific questions about gladiators, but can you give us, like, an overview on... Who were the Roman gladiators? What was the deal with that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the way this film presents gladiators is like more or less accurate. The Romans liked watching people fight each other in arenas and kill each other gladiators are basically wrestling
0: stars, except sometimes they actually kill each other. Um, Also, they killed a lot of animals. They especially like to fight, like, exotic animals. I know that. Yeah, so
1: sometimes gladiators were fighting each other. Sometimes they would, yeah, like, be fighting animals. Sometimes there were, yeah, like, these mock battles
0: that were staged. Okay, so that was gonna be this... One of the things that happens in the film is they, like, reenact quote-unquote the, like, fall of Carthage. Was this kind of like historical battle reenactment a thing?
1: Yeah, no, they did some some degree of that. Some stuff like that, I, I imagine, would have been quite expensive. So I don't think it was like the most popular thing that happened all the time. But yeah, there's even stuff we hear about like the Colosseum being flooded so they can do fake naval battles. Oh, like, like okay, they, that slaps. Oh yeah, no, like they really like popped off. <laughs>
0: um, listen, it's really fucked up because they were. Murdering people For sport But also This does If people weren't Dying for it It sounds like It would have been Extremely interesting oh, To yes, watch yes Absolutely And so
1: Gladiators Again like the movie Actually does a reasonably Good job of this They're often Prisoners of war Condemned criminals Slaves Or free volunteers everybody but the free volunteers obviously are being, you know, forced to fight. But also, like, you would have free volunteers because gladiators were sort of, like, sports stars. Like, it was, like, a sexy thing to do, is to, like, be a gladiator.
0: There was some prestige and some yeah. name recognition and stuff. We get stories later about, like, particular, like, there's some yeah. historical stuff about, like, particular gladiators Yeah, whose names we know because people, mm-hmm. like, knew about them.
1: Yeah, and Allegedly, it seems like members of the senatorial class and the equestrian classes. So these are the sort of two highest like ranks of Roman society. You know, sort of upper class, and then sort of like upper middle upper upper middle class type people. Apparently, some of these people m- might have actually been attracted to this profession because Augustus does actually ban people from these classes from participating in gladiatorial fights. Which
0: indicates some people Were doing it it. Yeah you don't make a law banning something (laughs) Unless people are doing that thing Augustus,
1: FYI First emperor of Rome did a lot of sort of Moral legislation like he was very concerned With having these sort of like Strict moral behaviors Especially for the upper class Because he saw that as a like, a problem that the upper class were not behaving themselves correctly. It was, like, un-Roman
0: to Mm -hmm. behave in in certain ways.
1: Yeah. And the other thing the movie does get right is the lives of those who were defeated could be spared at the wish of the audience. So that was, like, a part of the entertainment.
0: Cool. My other question about this is, we get this thing about these enslaved men winning their freedom by winning uh, enough prestige and enough kind of recognition in these fights was that a thing was this like a way to become free potentially so i'm not sure i think
1: that there was some manner by which you could acquire like
0: money so i did take a course on slavery in the ancient world yeah. and i i know that there were there were multiple legal ways to become a freed person yes. under roman law and I believe that one of them involved just like the ascent of some high ranking magistrate or something like that. So I suspect that if you impressed the emperor, because that's what because that's what Proximo says is that he was, is yeah. that Marcus Aurelius took a shine to him and freed him just as like yeah. a one off. So that seems likely and slaves could earn money yes
1: slaves technically did not have money but there's a thing called a pecunium which is you do not technically own money because you're technically property but this thing is sort of being money is being held in trust for you essentially so i wouldn't be surprised if gladiators had a way of like getting money into a pecunium and then being able to buy their freedom
0: if they were very successful and didn't die immediately yes yeah That's the the important part. Get their fucking arms chewed off by a lion or whatever. Yeah. So, okay, cool. I think that's enough. I mean, it's good to know that this is actually relatively, like, accurate. And that, you know, they seem to have done... They seem to have done some kind of interesting stuff with the institution of gladiatorial combat. And, like, we get a lot of perspectives on being a gladiator and, like, the and what it means to be a gladiator both from like people who are inside that institution as gladiators themselves and people who are watching the gladiatorial fights and who are engaging with it in various ways like i think that the the film does a relatively like a weirdly fairly nuanced job of like yeah. giving us different sort of perspectives on on the whole thing
1: yeah no the gladiator aspect of this is actually the the one of the Better parts of the film Gladiator, which you know, one would hope that that would be the yeah. case. So um, there you go. However, what, while the Gladiators might be done well, you know what is not portrayed well in this movie? What? Roman politics.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about Roman politics, and even I was like, this seems dodgy. So Ridley Scott does not understand. Ridley
1: Scott Any, and whoever
0: wrote the script for yeah, this Yeah, does film. not seem to
1: understand anything about Roman politics, which, I mean, I guess maybe wouldn't bother you if you don't know anything about Roman politics. But for me, I was just like, what? Nobody in this movie has a single political brain cell. And for a movie that is about, like, that is ostensibly about political revenge... From a plot perspective, you kind of would think that people would be making intelligent political decisions, but nobody in this movie makes a single intelligent political decision at any point. So the the first thing is that in, in the Roman Empire, whoever controls the army controls the empire. Like, that is the, the number one thing that's going on. I mean, they kind of got that. But they didn't, though, because Commodus has Maximus, like, murdered immediately in the middle of his own
0: army camp. Like... Well, he doesn't have him murdered in the middle of his own army camp, though. He they ha- he has him fucking dragged out into the woods. That's the point. He knows that the army is loyal to Commodus, and we get this conversation later where I think it's Cicero. Uh, Maximus is like like manservant. Yeah, Cicero, who's a very cute character, Rip Cicero. He dies in a kind of horrible way. Yes, who is like they've installed like Commodus has installed commanders that are loyal to him in charge of all of the different parts of the yes, army
1: but before that happens like i don't even believe that any of the 10 guys who drag um maximus, maximus off would have done that because com- like commodus in this film was portrayed as somebody who is inexperienced like incapable like you don't throw and then there's also like a a um a political figure who i'm not quite sure who he is there's this like other guy that like we see maximus like bro out with until he decides to like Turn on him
0: at the beginning of the movie Oh yeah, not Gracchus No,
1: Gracchus is the
0: senator Gracchus is, well he's the other senator There's uh, Quintus, who I believe is also Supposed to be a senator
1: Okay, yeah, Quintus like, I don't believe that Quintus would turn on him because Again, Commodus If Commodus is like as stupid As everybody thinks he is, like he's not Capable of making a, like You wouldn't throw your bet behind this guy, essentially Like, yeah. it, it I don't I know, mean, to me it doesn't make a lot of sense
0: No, but it works Fine
1: as a conceit And I think the other thing is Well, there's, there's multiple other things The idea that Like Marcus Aurelius wanted to like Turn Rome back into a republic Like, no he didn't This is, you know, this is a bit of like little fa- Fantasy For the for the purpose of fiction, which that in, in, in and of itself is not a problem, but it is, I do have a problem with that from like a, from a storytelling perspective, I have a problem with that, but we can get into that later. And then there's a whole like bit at the end where they're all having like all these political machinations and none of them make any sense, which is just a shame because like Roman politics were incredibly brutal and just like a whole hot mess. But people were, you know, th- there were a lot of, like, complex and strategic political machinations going on in the Roman Empire, and this film does not do a good job of portraying that. Yeah. It doesn't... People don't seem to make decisions that make sense. Yeah.
0: I mean... In any way, shape, or form. Yeah, which is, like... It's a little annoying because it means that a lot of what happens in this film feels really arbitrary. It's like this is happening to make the plot happen, not because it makes a lot of sense. This is, I think, what we were talking about earlier is that this is, they're just, they're telling a pretty straightforward revenge story. Yeah. And they're throwing in a few twists here and there to like make it slightly more interesting. But fundamentally, it's a story about Maximus murdering Commodus for the murder of his family and then dying. And all the political shit is just trappings. Yeah, it is just
1: trappings, and it's also trappings that d- just don't need to be there, especially in the latter half of the movie.
0: Yeah, like basically the whole character of Gracchus is like more or less redundant because basically what they're saying is what what basically their plan is that is that Maximus is going to conduct a like crossing the Rubicon esque like maneuver to seize power because. Because, as you were saying, the the army is loyal to him, which means that he is fully empowered to just seize control of Rome if he wants. Yeah. And we don't really need a senator to, like, give his stamp of approval. Yeah. If Maximus mm-hmm. fucking marched into Rome at the head of the entire Roman legion and was like, there's no Caesar anymore, and chopped Commodus's head off on the steps of the Senate and was like, the Senate is in charge again— the Senate would be in charge again. I mean, it wouldn't, but, like, that could have just happened. There wouldn't have to be an involved senator. And even a lot of the stuff with with Lucilla is, like, how much of this did we need?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's because they wanted to have the romantic subplot.
0: Yeah. They could have cut the entire romantic subplot.
1: Yes, they could have cut a lot of this movie, but also I don't – the basic character arc is not compelling to me because Maximus is basically just this, like – straightforwardly heroic man and he gets mad because his wife and kid get fridged which is just not and i mean in 2000 maybe people were still down with this as a narrative arc but now i'm like why why do i care this is not there's no particular like nuance to this character that makes him interesting i'm not super down for fridging Wife and kids. Who the wife does not get any dialogue. No, she, she just gets fridged without any dialogue. She just
0: gets to stand there and like look pretty. Yeah, and so like, it, and this, I would have been more interested if Maximus actually had had some like political convictions. Yes, because you could have done the exact same plot if he had been a man of the people who was genuinely had some conviction. To restore power to the people And Commodus fucked him over just for that And he had to, like, fight his way back To to power In order to achieve A real goal of his own, yeah. you know
1: Yeah, because the thing is, is Once his wife and kid are killed the It just feels kind of meaningless Well Because and it's, he doesn't give a shit anymore Yeah, and like, well,
0: and the refrain all the way through the film Is, not yet So we know he's gonna die yeah. mm-hmm Like, spoilers. (laughs) I mean... Uh, I I already said it. But, you know, like... But, yeah, like, it's not... It it doesn't feel like there's much point. Like, he doesn't have a character arc. No. Where he starts at the beginning of the movie is where he ends, because he never had any real goals of his own in the first place, and was always going to die at the end. And also, he was always competent. Like, we don't see him becoming
1: more competent in in something in pursuit of his goal.
0: And we don't even... So... We get some of his relationships with a couple of other gladiators. There's yeah. um, Juba is the, like, uh, what is he? Ni- he's not um, Nigerian. He's, uh, they call him, like, a Namibian or something yeah. like that. And also um, Hagen, the the German guy. Yes. And we get, like, no actual development of those relationships. No. And we don't see Maximus, like, learning to work with them in order to survive. He just... He and he and Juba get thrown into the ring together early on fucking chained together at the wrists and they fight together like a finely oiled machine. Yes. And then all of these
1: characters so spoilers at the end just like decide they want to like die for Maximus and go out and like Fight a bunch of soldiers. For
0: yeah, the German guy dies, and then Juba lives. Juba yeah. lives through. This but is there's... the only movie action movie I've ever seen where the black guy is the one guy <laughs> who actually lives all the way through but to the end of the movie. There's no
1: compelling reason as to why they're willing to sacrifice all these random people are willing to like sacrifice. Yeah, their like, life. do they
0: think that he's gonna free them? I yeah I just, because he hasn't made any promises about that he said he was going to restore the Republic yeah. but the Republic was doing plenty of slave taking and gladiatorial combat too well you wouldn't know that
1: the way this movie portrays stuff I think I kind of want to shift into some of the the fun colonialism that's going on in this movie yeah because the sort of the my other problem with Maximus's... Character is that his character is inherently colonialist because he's presented as this like moral man, but he's in charge of murdering and enslaving people. Yeah, like, that's his job is to conquer territory.
0: And we get like a little <sighs> nod to the idea that maybe this isn't okay because he has this exchange with Hagen with the German guy at one point. Yeah, where Hagen is like, "You were a you were a legionnaire. Did you fight in Germany?" And he's like, "Yeah." And Hagen sort of makes a bit of a, like, joke that, like, maybe he's gonna fuck him up for conquering his people and causing him to be enslaved, but nothing comes of it. Yeah. It's all fine, because he gets enslaved, too! Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's just... <sighs> and uh, same thing with, like, Marcus Aurelius. Um, there's this, like, Marcus Aurelius, again, is, like, portrayed as this, like, good moral character, and he says this thing at one point. He says, Rome is the light, which yeah is it, very ooh. big Western civilization energy
0: Western civilization <laughs> the the grand enlightening power of the conquering force of the West bringing light and civilization to... People who already had civilization. Like, yeah. These are civilizations that already exist, and the Romans were fucking murdering them all. Yeah,
1: and it's like, how about we not murder and enslave people? Yeah, Just a fun, fun idea. So yeah, this movie is definitely like putting forward the, the Roman Empire was good and great, was bringing civilization and all of the murder and pillaging and assault and slavery was totally fine. We're just gonna, just gonna sweep that under the rug. Yeah. So that just really just, that was where I was like, okay, this movie is not
0: doing something that I am agreeing with. It does not deal with the whole, like, colonialist and imperialist thing very well. And this movie also has a big Orientalism problem. Oh, it sure does. So your friend and mine, Edward Said, authored a book called Orientalism in the late 70s that lays out a sort of theory of a theory of a discourse about culture and the relationship between Europe and, like, the East and how the East, and I say this in the East, in big air quotes, Mm -hmm. is kind of constructed. There's this, like, constructed idea of it. And there are a number of really um, distinctive foreignizing tropes associated with Orientalism and Orientalizing, like, ideas. And we get some big ones, Particularly in this sequence where, um, after Maximus has been enslaved, he is brought to North Africa somewhere? Yes, yeah. so he's brought to what is now Algeria.
1: He's brought to a city called Zuccabar. Apparently, on screen, they say that it's a province. Yeah,
0: I- it's labeled Roman province. It was actually a city. Yeah, I believe
1: the province is uh, Caesarea more Mauritania, or maybe just Mauritania, but anyway, it's it was the Roman province that covered at least part of what is modern-day Algeria.
0: Right. And we get this, like, this, like, series of scenes that are just blatantly, I mean, if you've seen The Mummy, you know what exactly all of this shit is, and in fact, the, the, like, comical, money grabbing like, like slave owning peddler guy is actually played by the same actor as plays that same character in the mummy. Oh, that's I didn't even notice that. That's I recognized so him instantly. Oh his Ugh. name is his his name is Omid Jalili and he is a British actor and he plays like the exact same character in both of these two movies. And he's this like kind of scamming like it's it's this horrific like arab stereotype yeah. that i just cringed so hard yeah and you know it's all these people in turbans like trading slaves and exotic animals yes
1: which is so what really is particularly frustrating about this is like people were doing slavery everywhere in what is now like you know europe and the near east the Middle East, North Africa, like slavery was happening everywhere, but they specifically frame slavery as something that is being done by the foreigner and not by somebody who's european. Like yeah. this was a clear choice that was made to be like, "Ooh, slavery is part of orientalism and has nothing to do with the Roman Empire."
0: Yeah, it's this it's this thing that they do in the foreign lands of, you know, the Middle East and North Africa. And even even Proximo who's theoretically a Roman, I am of the opinion is quite like Jew-coded. Allison's less sensitive to this than I am because yeah. I am Jewish and she isn't. So I pick up on these things more but like we see Proxima wearing this like quite this this kind of skull cap thing and he has these kind you know he's he's kind of got semitic features. I mean not as much, not super super strongly but enough that I picked up on it a bit and he's he's characterized very much as this like really money motivated kind of character. And that's part of, like, that's part of Orientalism, too. Like, Saeed was a Palestinian, and so that is where he lived, and that is the place that he was writing from when he wrote Orientalism the book. And so he was looking a lot at, like, like tropes about Semitic people, mm. as well as, like, Arabs and North African people more generally. So a lot of anti-Semitic tropes are also orientalist tropes. There's a lot of overlap there.
1: Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. I will say, every time you're like, oh, this was anti-Semitic, I was like, oh, was it? And then you list all these things, and I'm like, oh, God, it was really (laughs) anti-Semitic. Every time,
0: there's like a, oh, no. And I mean, this is the, like, okay, so here's the thing. I fully admit that, like, anti-Semitism is... It's not an easy thing to notice, and also it's a hard thing to accuse, because a lot of, like, anti-Semitic stereotypes and tropes are either overlap heavily, as I said, with, like, Orientalist tropes or with other things, or they're just, like, they're so subtle that it's really hard to tell if it's there or if I'm just being too sensitive to it, because I admit that I am sensitive to it and therefore might be seeing things that aren't there, but I am seeing it. Yeah. And it does make me uncomfortable as a Jewish person watching these pieces of media where these, to me, quite Semitic-looking or Semitic-coded characters are sneaky or money-grubbing or, you know, backstabbing or whatever. And I'm just sitting here like, really?
1: Yeah. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, Especially it- paired with all of these other Orientalist tropes and this other like racist foreignization that is being employed to make slavery an institution of the provinces.
1: Yeah, and I think I think to what sort of really kind of checks out that as also maybe part of the sort of anti-Semitic trope, is that, like, the sort of Arab characters are kind of, they're the sort of, like, barbaric characters, whereas the Jewish character is, like, the mastermind, you know? Yeah. that, like, oh, he's in control of what's going on here. Yeah. So there's that sort of, you know, getting into the, like, George Soros conspiracy theory type. There's, yeah, I mean, it's... There's a little bit of that.
0: There's a little bit of that. I mean, I think in... I think that is a more straightforward white supremacist thing Because Proximo is a Roman And he is a white person He's like a European person Mm -hmm. He's a European looking person more so than anybody else in those scenes, yeah. and he is the one with the power and the control. So I think that's just—I think that's just straightforward white supremacy, more so than it is anything to do with anti-Semitism. But there's a way to read it as anti-Semitism yeah. mm-hmm. for sure.
1: And I definitely like read it initially as just like white supremacy, yeah. which I mean, yeah,
0: that's in there too.
1: There's a lot of stuff in here, is what we're saying. And just and a this is of- a
0: relatively short portion of the movie. Yeah, this, this is like a set piece that happens, and then they move on, and they're in Rome, and it's kind of over, but, like, it stuck in my mind really hard because of how heinous it was. Yeah,
1: and what's really sort of interesting about, like, Zuckebar historically, too, is Zuckebar was, like, given the status of a colonia, which is basically, like, you essentially get sort of, if you are a, like, city that gets, like, the designation of colonia, you sort of get special privileges, so, like, the fact that they portrayed also this, this settlement to look extremely sort of, like, foreign in compared to, like, for example, Rome in this movie. Like, this city probably would have had a lot of what is recognizable to us as Roman architecture. This was not necessarily a city that, like, would have looked super foreign. Foreign and in... Big air quotes. Air quotes there. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's also just not the historical reality that that's what cities would have looked like that were in north africa at the time period i took a there's whole a, class about
0: it there's a lot of very roman ruins in these places yeah. because mm-hmm. the romans built shit that they liked yeah. when they conquered and, well places. so the
1: emperor after the first like actual emperor after the like political chaos that happens after uh commodus's assassination is from north africa um, he's from Leptis Magna, which was, like, a big city in North Africa. Mm. So to portray North Africa as this, like, Orientalist backwater is a decision yeah. <laughs> that they made.
0: I have, a I have like, a mi- a very minor slash petty thing to bring up about that happened in this particular section of the movie, and okay. I just want to say oh. it now. There's a line in one of these scenes where Proximo's talking to the, like, shady, uh, like, backhanded Arab businessman and he accuses him of selling him queer giraffes
1: because the giraffes won't fuck
0: (laughs) yeah he's like the giraffes just walk around all day and won't mate you sold me queer giraffes and I okay so first of all it's just a shitty gay joke that they didn't have to make kind of annoyed me however it was very funny like I did laugh uh huh as a queer person. I mean, I know that it's, like, a mean dig, actually, but if a queer person had made that joke, I would have found it very funny. <laughs> and third, I just need to be totally clear that the Romans did, in fact... Like, there is a word in Latin for a giraffe. These seem like... like wild like oh these like african animals like lions and tigers and giraffes and elephants and shit's like oh did the romans like really yeah they knew about these things they captured them and traded in them and stuff but yep. the, the latin for for giraffe is camelopardalis which is it means like like spotted camel basically which yeah i love yeah i love it and it's one of the first words that i ever learned in latin because one of my undergraduate latin teachers the esteemed and now retired god bless her uh lynn ray loves giraffes <laughs> and loved to use the camelopardalis as like an exemplar in her sentences so that's um, just a fun bit of trivia for you
1: i will also point out that giraffes actually do have a lot of gay sex so that was a particularly funny thing because like male giraffes like will essentially assault other male giraffes as a form of dominance so the giraffes are in fact queer queer there you go
0: (laughs) the giraffes are queer everybody (laughs) so can we talk about religion
1: okay so yes i have a whole section specifically about afterlife if we want to talk about afterlife, because I think yeah. that's just the most important part of religion here, is how the afterlife gets portrayed.
0: I had a question about that for you, so <laughs> yes, absolutely please go off about the Roman afterlife. But first, I just wanted to say, in my notes, I like labeled this section of things I wanted to talk about, why so Christian?
1: Um, that's I, I yeah. have this phrase in, in my little notes here about afterlife, I have the section... I have a phrase, big Christian energy.
0: Yeah, so So. this isn't unusual at all for stuff to do with, like, antiquity that the Christianity just bleeds in. And it's like, guys, they just didn't talk about religion the way that Christian people talk about religion. So, for example, we get this exchange really early on in the film between Maximus and Lucilla, where Lucilla says to him... I still remember you in my prayers. Oh, yes, I pray. And I was like, I don't think anybody would say, I remember you in my prayers. Oh,
1: yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. That is very...
0: It's just like a weirdly Christian Christian phrasing. And, like, it's not that people didn't pray to the gods. They did. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that you would... I mean, I don't know. Would people have, like... Made an offering and offered a prayer to the gods On behalf of a certain individual Who was, like, off to war or whatever? Probably, yeah okay. You would
1: probably ask for, like, you know Protection Protection, stuff like okay. that I, Yeah, but, like, yeah That particular phrasing is very Christian yeah. well, it, it, it evokes, you know what? It evokes this imagery of, like, getting down on your knees And putting your hands together and praying Whereas communication with a lot of the sort of pantheon of Roman deities was a very different, like, form of communication than, like, Christian communication with the, like, Christian
0: God. I I think that it's, I think that it is the idea, it is centering the idea of prayer rather than centering the idea of offering. Yes. That rubs me the wrong way. Because we're still in a period where, and, like, Maximus has a little altar with a bunch of votives and stuff. Yes. And he clearly is, like, you know, he's lighting candles and he's, he's saying prayers, but he's saying them... At an altar where he has Like altar goods and has made offerings Yeah That to me made some sense But we get these conversations about this, These like few mm-hmm. lines of dialogue here and there About like praying That centers the idea of praying And people just don't pray that way No
1: Um. And what So what the the little altar thing that he was doing Is probably drawing off of Is the idea of the Lares and the Penates Which are the Roman household gods Okay So you would have like Gods, sort of like, yeah, like these household deities that are kind of like ancestor worship, sort of. Right. Um, essentially, that, yeah, you have these like household deities that are specific to your household that, like, you, especially as like the paterfamilias, like, the sort of head of the Roman family unit, would sort of make offerings to. So that's probably what that's drawing on. And
0: you're responsible for, like, looking after the kind of votives of those gods, right? Because, like, we get this in the Aeneid. It's a, like Aeneas yes, yes. takes them He's with carrying, him when he flees. Yeah, Troy. so, yeah.
1: Right. It's, and it's not even just the votives, but you're responsible for... the. I mean, the votives are sort of, the, like, the representation of, the like, spirits, essentially. Right. And so you're responsible... As the head of A votive of the is
0: like a little statue of a yeah. god or whatever. Yeah. Or Just a, making sure that I'm using that word right. Yeah, so votives can
1: be little statues of gods, little statues of...
0: He has little statues of his wife and his son. Which, that's
1: weird. That 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 bit doesn't make a lot of sense. That's I thought that of, was a little weird. I think the, the point of that is, so at the end of the movie, you know, they have the little statue of the wife and son and, like, the little... Juba buries them. Yeah, that I think Maximus gets back from... uh, Cicero. Cicero. Yeah. Um, So I think they did that. But I don't know whether the... Sometimes you talk about, like, votive statuary that's not necessarily, like, in human form. It's a way of communicating with a deity, and sometimes it's, like, in human form, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, like, of a god. Sometimes it's just of, like, a person... Um, You have votives that are, like, of body parts, for example, in, like, sanctuaries to Asclepius, where you're like, please heal my arm. And then there's just, like, an arm, but it's it's actually, like, a water jug.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, so, well, I mean, you would – so, I don't know about the Roman world, but in the Greek world, at healing sanctuaries, particularly we have evidence from the healing sanctuary at Epidaurus – Of people offering, like, a statue of that body part that they want healed. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so, suffice to say, you can offer other things that aren't just a statue of the god on an altar. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are still votives. Yeah. But yeah, so to go back to the conversation about religion a little more centrally, I think that covers the weirdness around praying and offerings, but do you want to... Yeah, so I have, like, one more thing about, sort of, prayer that I
1: want to say, and that... So... I feel like sort of more more generally when people in like Europe and North America think about religion they're thinking about it completely in relation to Christianity. There isn't really an understanding that religion is not necessarily about loving an omnipotent morally good deity. Or loving any deity. Yeah. There's there's a sense of, like, loving a deity, and this deity is, like, an omnipotent and all-powerful, and is also doing things that are right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas- Ooh, the gods will help you if you have their favor. Like, no. Not really. Yeah. More likely that they just won't actively fuck you over. Yes. So, I mean, <sighs> the idea of a lot of sort of, like, of
1: religion in the ancient world is, a, in a lot of places, like- Especially, so especially with Roman, like major Roman deities and major Greek deities, it's really about communication and essentially, yeah, trying to either get the, a god to not actively fuck you over, like not fuck up your harvest, or trying to give them something so that they do something for you in return. They're not something that you worship because it's morally correct to do. They're something that you communicate with because you have to to survive. Yeah, And so that's the framework that we're working in here And
0: also because it's totally embedded in society And in order to, like, live in a society TM You have to participate in religion
1: Yeah, and so, yeah, religion is, like
0: There's There's, there's a lot of state religion Yeah,
1: there's a lot of state religion Like emperor worship in the Roman Empire Like, you're supposed to do the emperor worship Just because that's, like, part of how you show that you're, like, a Citizen who's behaving yourself Is by, you know, doing the emperor worship As well, like, in the, in the Greek world You see a lot of, like, communal festivals Where, like
0: Yeah, major civic festivals where Everybody gets together, makes similar kinds Of offerings to the mm-hmm. same gods There's a cycle of festivals And... Everybody participates in them because that is how you participate in civic life and continue to have rights. Yes. And, you know, everybody gets to eat. Yeah, you might
1: get to eat meat, which is, like, a real treat if you're not rich to get to eat, like, some cow. Yeah, but to sort of like move so, into yeah. the afterlife. Tell
0: us about the Roman afterlife. So Allison. I mean,
1: I did a brief bit of research about this, especially during the Roman period. You know, there's there's a lot of shit going on religiously. We have a lot of different religious ideas floating around. A lot of different yeah. religious groups,
0: including mm, syncretism. <laughs>
1: Well, but also, like, you know, including, like, Jew- Jews are around. Yeah, well, Roman and by now,
0: by now we have Christians around, too. Yeah. We, we have do
1: some, have some Christians. There's some Christians around. There's not a... Christianity,
0: at this point, is definitely not, like, a major focus it's of religion. Like, it's still, like, pretty baby, but in another 150 years, Christianity is going to be big. Yeah, she kind of, so, like, pops off,
1: but she hasn't quite popped off yet, essentially.
0: Yes, yeah, um, we're, we're getting there. But
1: the sort of, like, traditional roman belief about the afterlife is that when you die you join something called the demonas um and so this is sort of like a collective of ancestors it's not like you're an individual person anymore and that you continue to exist as part of this collective as ancestor of ancestors because of funerary cult practice so like people are going out and communicating with you and and worshiping you in order that you like continue to exist as this like G- collective group of ancestors. And then if your burial rites aren't done properly, you become one of the lemures, um, which are essentially kind of like ghosts. Um, again, there's not really much of a sense of individ- individuality, but... Yeah, you don't get to join the collective ancestors if
0: you aren't buried properly. And so so th- we don't have this concept that we kind of get in the film of because uh, Maximus is repeatedly there's this idea yeah. that when he dies he will go to join his wife and son in the afterlife. Yes, and we we see this and we see them. Which, yeah. A, a
1: side note is incredibly cheesy. Oh my god! Like I wanted to like roll my eyes all the way back into my all skull. of the
0: like stupid dream sequences and the like afterlife vision shit. I was like, we could have done with that. Yeah, this. and they do
1: a lot of, they also, like, Ridley Scott decided to do a, a, like, absurdly intense color grading on it. So yeah, this is that, like, the idea of the afterlife, what they really mean is heaven, <laughs> that's portrayed here, is it's this very, like, Christian idea. Um, yeah, for sure. Although, I would, if you want to, like, talk about Jewish conceptions
0: of what happens after death. I would not, because there's not a clear Jewish conception of what happens after death. But suffice to say, we don't have like, and then you go to join your loved ones in the afterlife. Yeah.
1: Which again, kind of goes to show how Christian. It's really, it's really Christian. Um, And again, like there's a lot of different religious stuff happening in the empire around this time. I would be actually surprised if there weren't other religions that were sort of picking up on some of that stuff that eventually does become Christianity. Like, Christianity probably didn't get that idea from nowhere. I imagine. No, I mean it was Christianity circulating in niche religions, but
0: well, and Christianity gets a lot of stuff. These concepts are crystallized or evolved versions of stuff that was already going around. I mean, yeah. th- the idea of the underworld in Greek theology is very like you can see how that became the idea of hell and Elysium which Mm -hmm. is where, you know, truly virtuous souls go, you can see how that became the idea of heaven. Yes. These things are all interrelated. They, you know, and they're picking up on each other. I mean, even the concept of, like, Jesus as a dying and rising God, a lot of people have connected that to Dionysian mythology. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of connections there. None of this stuff came from nowhere.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of yeah, especially like mystery cults that have similarities with, with Christianity.
0: Totally, Orphic around Orphic and Dionysiac cults in the Greek also world. Mithras has some similarities. But I guess so. I guess what we're getting at is that it's not so much like the that the idea itself is completely foreign to ancient Mediterranean theology and like thanatology, mm-hmm. but that. The specific formulation of it that we Get in Gladiator in the same way With like prayer and the way they frame prayer It's Mm -hmm. not that there was no idea of Prayer or saying prayers for somebody or Whatever it's just that the Specific formulation and presentation Of it is really Christian
1: Yeah which I mean Was it going to be anything but Christian like No this is a big Hollywood movie It's it's
0: accessible to to American and European audiences But
1: it just makes me sad because Roman religion is so interesting and because like we've really lost conceptions of religion outside of Christianity in like
0: yeah because we just don't have representations of them
1: yeah and it's just it's sad because like not everything religious has to be Christianity so that's that's my that's my bit about Christianity <laughs> something which I'm sure we'll talk about again yeah all right I think um are you ready to move on to petty gripes <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well. Okay. So I have a couple of like small questions for you about okay. stuff that might invoke petty gripes. I don't know what your <laughs> right, petty gripes go, are.
1: Go for it. So
0: one of them is, does Maximus's name check out as a Roman name? Oh. So I believe we do actually
1: have. We get his full name at one point. Yeah. So he has. So he has the three Roman names. So like an upper Roman upper-class Roman person would have done. I thought about researching this and then decided I was too lazy, um, honestly. Okay. Because it's... Was not- Maximus a, a praenomen that people used? I don't know. I know that Maximus... I know there are some emperors that do have Maximus in their name, so it, it's
0: entirely possible. Okay, so here's the one thing that I know about Roman naming, which is that Roman children have what's called a praenomen, which is they're like given name essentially yeah. and there were like there were like 25 of these that just got used yeah. for every like everybody's name is Gaius. Yeah, there's they're like all named there's like Gaius. 20 of them
1: and imagine so Gaius is like the Matthew of
0: it's the John of Yeah, and of Roman like literally everybody you know is yeah. is named Gaius. by the time we get to like the Early, like Roman, the Roman Empire, it's dwindled to like 20 or 25 names from what I recall because, and we kind of know that because we get, they have a set abbreviation that gets used in inscriptions and stuff all the time. Mm. And so if it doesn't use one of those, it's a foreign name that somebody's using. I, I just Googled this and it doesn't look like Maximus is one of them. So they just named him Maximus. So the thing is, is Maximus is a name that people that people seem to have like used
1: as part of their names for themselves. Like there are a bunch of emperors that have the, the name Maximus in their name. I don't know if that's whether like a name that they gave themselves or like as part of the name, but it wouldn't have been a pry, you wouldn't have used that as a
0: nomen, I don't think. Um, yeah, which he seems to be using yeah. it that way. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, I sort of had that in my brain. I was like, this seems wrong. Okay, so there's, I guess that is pretty gripe number one, is that Maximus is not a legitimate given name for a Roman man. N- no,
1: no, it would not be your given first name because it means, Maximus is like a Roman word that just means big. G- G- Maximus is like,
0: it means big (laughs) his name means big or great they fucking named him big yes they named him big or either big or most big and it's bad either way second question for you we get people traveling by carriage a couple of times yeah so were those like fucked up or were they kind like did people go around in carriages
1: so the carriage looked fucked up to me I don't know the degree to which that's true. Like, I know, like, there's points where people are carried around in litters, which, yeah, you would sometimes if you were, like, not going too far or have somebody carry you in a litter. Um, I think there were carriages of some sort. I don't think they looked like that. Because the thing is, is, like, putting a box on wheels is not rocket science, right?
0: No, they had wagons
1: and stuff. So I I imagine that there were carriages. I just don't know what they looked like.
0: Okay. I accept I don't know as an answer to this question. (laughs) Okay, third question. Did Roman people have tattoos? Did they tattoo themselves or each other? I know that... I don't know. Okay. Because Maximus... So Maximus has, like, SPQR SPQR tattooed on him, which... So I can tell you right now that they sure as fuck would not have been that clean. No. Like, it's a super clean, modern, like, it. I mean, obviously it's a temporary tattoo, but, like, it looks like a machine-done tattoo. Yeah. To my eye, I'm not exactly a tattoo expert, but I do have a tattoo, and I know that you just don't get lines as clean with a hand poke as that. And also it looks weirdly, like, well Cared for and not very aged like the Lines are still really yeah, dark right. which like This man would be out in the sun His skin would be yeah. all Fucked up it's genuinely shocking that he Hasn't taken some kind of wound across his arm And developed a horrible scar like Earlier yeah So
1: although it is where his armor Covers
0: I mean yeah his armor Covers it but I mean Tattoo care takes a lot you Have to like moisturize your skin so that Your tattoos don't fade yeah even if you're not Out in the sun all the time so th-
1: I, yeah, th- th- nobody would have had anything that looked like that. That seems highly unlikely to me. Um, I don't know if there this, was... This, like, any... beautiful serif yeah, font. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't Shit.
1: I don't know if there would have been maybe brandings, though, especially on, like, property that is alive.
0: Yeah, he'd probably been branded when he became a slave. I yes. wouldn't have been shocked. So
1: but we I, don't get that. No. So I don't... I've never heard of, like... Especially in the upper classes of Rome, like anybody doing any tattooing.
0: Okay, any, any classicist listening to this, if you know anything about tattooing in Rome, please hit us up on Twitter at ClassicallyPod. I am desperately curious about this, actually. Okay,
1: I'm sure if you did some research,
0: you yeah. might be able to
1: find it. But I didn't.
0: I didn't look this one up just because I wondered if you might know. No,
1: I, I don't know. Okay, I, my I suspect the answer is is no, at least for sort of like like for the senatorial class. Like I've never heard anything about that. So. Okay, I admit my ignorance. That's okay. You're not a Romanist. You don't no. have to
0: know this. I think that's all my questions. All right. So we can get on to the petty gripes. Yes. Hit me with those petty gripes. I only have like one. Really? So, so
1: my first petty gripe is all of Lucilla's outfits.
0: Oh, fuck. You're, never mind. I have two. Yep. So hello, dear listeners. Welcome to classically trained a podcast where we complain about the way women are costumed in period dramas.
1: It's just so all of the male costumes, like again there's stuff this is not a, a a a film that like went super hard on the accuracy for the costumes, which for all the male costumes is totally fine. They look vaguely like Roman soldiers. There's definitely stuff that's super anachronistic, but it doesn't it like it works. It wasn't fine. heinous. But there at the end Lucilla comes out in a shift dress covered by a corset. Fuck. <laughs> I, I wanted don't even to ask you. I did that. want
0: to ask you about furs. We see her wearing this fucking like fur cloak oh. or like a cloak with like a fur like trim on it. We see we see Commodus in something yeah. similar.
1: So I have never seen any representations of Roman women wearing furs that I can think of. Usually what you see roman women dressed in is a clothing that is very drapey i mean most roman clothing is very drapey um but you do see you people would wear cloaks but i suspect that more commonly they would have been made out of things like wool or some sort of like a plant-based fabric i'm not sure specifically what plant-based fabrics people were using in rome again we like have this problem where clothing doesn't survive that well so most depictions of Roman clothing, clothing that we have, again, are, like, depictions on things. They're on, like, mosaics or pottery. statuary. Yeah, pottery. Well, we don't, there's not really any, Romans don't really do a lot of figural pottery in the way that the Greeks did. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're... Wild yeah. that I, like, didn't Yeah, know no, that. that's that's really, like, It's a showing thing. my Hellenist ass uh, they here. They <laughs> really go, they really move away from doing super fancy pottery.
0: Where was I going with this? Hard to know what clothes are made out of Yeah Okay, so basically petition to stop putting Mediterranean women in form-fitting bodices
1: Yeah, so the form-fitting bodice is a a real problem Because we don't It's just not a thing Like, it's just just just
0: straight up there are other, like, costuming things that are, like, this is a little stupid, but, like, whatever. Yeah. it's kind of looks okay. But the form-fitting bodice is not a thing. Mm-hmm.
1: And my other sort of gripe is that they don't really... And it's interesting because I see, like, criticisms of costumes, costuming, of, like, costuming in the 1800s, and people are like, these are two things from the wrong decade. Meanwhile, we've got Roman stuff, and they're not even, with the female costuming, they're not even approaching stuff that any Roman would woman would have worn. And the biggest yeah. thing with this is that all of these women are not wearing enough clothing. If yeah. you were a high-born woman, like, you're covered, like, up to your neck. Like, yeah. there aren't portrayals of these women wearing, like, anything resembling a V-neck. Or with, like, their arms out, like, usually your arms are covered as well. Like, you're, yeah, if you're a highborn Roman woman, you're, like, pretty well covered up.
0: There is one woman in this movie, and they made her unnecessarily sexy. Yes. But, I mean, it's
1: 2000.
0: You can't have a woman in a movie if she's not sexy. Yeah. And <laughs> and then they had Commodus creep on her. In this weird, loaded, Freudian fashion that I hated. Yep. I said this before, I'm just bringing it up again because I hated it so much.
1: The fact that she's wearing a corset over top of a shift dress, two items that didn't exist for, what, like a thousand years? Like, (laughs) and also the corsets are never overclothes anyway, like... She's always yeah. wearing, like, not enough clothing. It's always some sort of strange, like, fantasy of what Roman clothing would have looked like. Honestly, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but some of the dresses in Troy, Fall of a City, look more yeah like a real dress that uh, an ancient woman would have worn than the stuff that Lucilla is wearing. God. Like, it's completely... I can't believe you just said that, but uh, you're right. Like, it's completely... All of her clothing is completely completely fantastical. Same thing with her hairstyles.
0: Her hairstyles are bad. She's also wearing lipstick all the time. I don't know. I mean, I know Roman women wore cosmetics. Yeah. But Um, still, there's, like... You know, speaking of cosmetics and, like, paint on faces, fuck everyone who makes films about antiquity with the pristine white marble statues in the background. Uh, all the,
1: so, okay, so, you know what's interesting is, fun fact, by this point, actually, they there were some busts that were actually using at least the white marble as a representation of skin. Okay. So, on, and this is interesting, because you can sort of tell this from the surface of the statue. So, yeah, they, they go through this shift where they do actually start using, like, parts of the white marble to, like, represent skin, I believe. I think, like, there's some busts of Marcus Aurelius that look like this. Okay. And the skin is actually, so it's actually polished. Oh. Okay. Whereas, like, in older busts, I think, like, you know, say if you see a bust of Augustus, like, the skin's not polished. And probably would have been painted. Yes, and yeah. would have been painted. And, like, some of the statues, like, for example, will would still have a, probably have painting and adornment, but, like, the hair would have been painted and the skin might not have been. This is stuff I'm remembering from a class I took, like, probably five years ago at this point. So I could be wrong. Disclaimer. But,
0: <laughs> but yeah. Um, I just though like that every statue we see in these kinds of dramas is like this pristine white marble. Like that's oh, yeah. just not, it's just not and what they look like. And also the buildings were pristine white marble. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. That all drove me crazy. Of this, all of these things
1: would have been garishly painted. Yeah. Like, just nuts. Just they, they went whack with the colors. Like they were really popping off. Rome would have, would not have been a marble city. Like, this is a... It's, yeah. I mean, it, they would have... They used a lot of marble, but they also did a lot of painting they on decorated, stone. They decorated like, the stone, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's very much, again, a sort of, like, white supremacist construction of history. This, like, perfect white marble.
0: Yeah. Okay. I have a, I have a linguist gripe. Okay. I understand why they did this, and it's kind of fine, but... They just went ahead and used Italian for Latin and German for and German for the German. Okay, I was wondering about yeah. that. Yeah. Which, like, I understand why they did it, but, like, seriously, you couldn't have found you couldn't have brought on an, an ancient language scholar to give you the, like, four words of Latin that you needed? And also, Latin is so easy. Latin, so, but the little kid There's says, so the little kid is like, Mama, il soldati. Yeah. It's like, So it's so it's Italian, yeah, or possibly Spanish. I don't know. I think it's Italian, and like, why? You could have just used the Latin. It wouldn't have been that hard. And like, but also it breaks the
1: fiction of the film because they're all supposed to be speaking Latin. Yeah, English is supposed to be Latin. So I don't know if it's supposed to be because it's the the kids, the little kid. And they're in Hispania Which is the province that is now Spain If it's They're supposed to be speaking um, so, Like provincial
0: Latin Spanish of some kind I don't know Yeah I, But like They wouldn't be speaking Spanish They'd be Speaking Latin Probably y-
1: y- Well yeah They would have been But yeah. why they Why you I don't why know Why
0: do you have Yeah no It was very weird And like There are a few words of Latin Here and there uh, Maximus shouts Roma victor Yeah When he's charging into battle Which is like fine and yeah, I just like there were a few things that I picked up on because I, as always with these films that go back and forth between being really loud and being really quiet and like whispery, I had to watch with the subtitles on mm. for parts of this. Um, and so there were a couple things. One of them being the subtitles just say "man speaking German" <laughs> when we get the when we get the like Germanic tribes like shouting at each other at the beginning. And like no, they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have spoken German. They would have spoken like Old Germanic of some Whatever. kind. Yeah, I. This is out of my wheelhouse. And the other thing is, so Allison, maybe you can answer this one because you know a little bit more about Latin than me. But the place that Maximus is from is called Tuhillo, and it is spelled in the subtitles T I U J I L L O, which is certainly not what it would have been called because the J for H is a modern Spanish spelling convention, as far as I am aware. Latin doesn't have a... Well, Latin has a J, but it's like... It was was not pronounced like that. No. But, like, what was this place actually called?
1: I have no idea.
0: This is... Apparently there's a true hello. Yes,
1: no, but there's no true... I I feel like they just made this up.
0: Okay, cool. Well, that, like... (laughs) In that case, it double annoys me that they didn't even... Not only did they not use an actual Roman place in Spain, which there were plenty of. Yes. They colonized the fuck out of Spain. I, fuck, the Greeks colonized Spain. Like, everyone colonized Spain. There were places in Spain that they could have used. But also that they used this, like, really modern Spanish name for it.
1: If somebody knows, let us know. Yeah. Because
0: once again, this might be like an obscure thing, but frankly, I think they were just full of shit. But that's more likely. Anyway, um, that's my that's my petty language gripe. OK, um, back to my next
1: petty gripe, which is so there's this there's a scene where um before they're all about to go into the Coliseum for the first time, like the arena in Rome. So in this scene, they're like picking out helmets. One of the helmets is fully the Sutton Hoo helmet. <laughs> Which so for anybody who doesn't know the Sutton Hoo helmet is oh no is I believe from I think the 7th century CE Britain. It is a, an Anglo-Saxon helmet
0: from 500 years after this movie takes place. Yeah. Everything about Gladiator, (laughs) everything about Gladiator, can be explained if we just decide that there are time travelers involved.
1: Yes, I just don't, I just don't know why you would do that. Like, they just wanted (laughs) shit that looked old. Yeah, they're like, this looks old. We're gonna put it in here, and I'm like, that's, but it's so the Sutton Hoo helmet is so famous. Like, it's famous to the point of if you're not, if you're an archaeologist, you've probably heard of the Sutton Hoo ship burial,
0: even if it has nothing to do with what you study at all. We, um, but yeah this this one's way out of our wheelhouse but the fact that you recognized it anyways is like amazing. Yeah,
1: I mean, I did watch like a British Museum curator video about it like probably 3 weeks ago. Okay. But like it is a distinctive it is a distinctive helmet. Like okay. it's
0: pretty like oh, that's the Sutton Hoo helmet. They were just counting on nobody
1: yeah, noticing noticing. That. Um and then finally, my final petty gripe is Commodus just has a scale model of the amp, of the Colosseum in his room for some, like in his bedroom. Wait, what? I yeah. didn't notice. And he's like, like enacting some... gladiator fights at one point in this like scale model of the Colosseum that's just like in his bedroom.
0: Commodus must be so mad that he was born before Lego. Oh, <laughs> he would have bought that giant Lego set for $700 or whatever it oh, costs. Oh, fully. Yeah. I
1: I just thought like I just thought it was like like what? <laughs> That's my only thought about that is, is what? Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. And it's like, it's not just, like, in his house, in the palace. It's, like, in his bedroom. Like, there's a bed over there.
0: Yeah. Wild.
1: Yeah. I. <sighs> and it's got, like, a corner cut out of it. So, like, you can, like, see, I don't know, the like, under the
0: stage. Oh, and like my God. act. They battles. probably built the model as, like, a model for the CGI modelers. Oh, yeah. And they just decided to use it as a set piece. You know, that's my theory. You know what?
1: You're probably right, because it totally looks like it could have been... Like, that's what it could have been built for. Yeah. I guess they're trying to get across that he's, like, obsessed with, like, games or whatever, but... Yeah. There was another way to choose that.
0: All right. Any final thoughts on Gladiator? Um, th- this movie...
1: I was about to say is very heterosexual, which I mean is true. Yeah, but it's not the main thing that bothers me about this movie. We
0: did get an offhand reference to the gladiators being casually raped by upper class Roman women in a very like, haha, like fuck you kind of way. What what does she say again? Lucilla like comes to visit Maximus and is like, uh, she has some line. I wrote it down because it made me crazy. Ah, uh, rich matrons pay well to be pleasured by the bravest champions. I just, like, yeah, that's true, but that's not something that you should be using as, like, a casual throwaway. Like, yeah. that's really fucked up and is coercive rape, actually. Yeah. Um, Men can be raped, too, and they were. Yeah. This movie happened. I didn't, like, actively
1: deeply hate it, It was fine. There's Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is just 20 years later a little bit, yikes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is the thing, is, like, we are watching this movie 20 years on, and it has some problems that are just, like, structural problems. It's a blockbuster, so it's too long, and there's a lot of dumb shit in it. But, you know, the action scenes are well choreographed, there is... Actually acceptable use of shaky cam in one of the early battle scenes that I think is pretty like effective. The cinematography is mostly fine. The writing is like mostly fine. Yeah, there
1: you know, there's a few occasions of like, oh, there's somebody just rehearsing a beautiful speech. Yeah. In plain human, when somebody you know should be doing like normal human communication, but you know that's that's how movies be though. So it's,
0: it's it's fine, but we did manage to go this entire thing without talking in any detail about several side characters who get a bunch of screen time that they very obviously didn't need. Yeah, and we got through this entire thing without mentioning the kid at all. Oh, Lucilla's yeah. son and technically Commodus's heir is this, like, kind of 12-year-old boy. He's really cute. He was one of, like, he was a character that I enjoyed because he was, like, cute and fun to watch on screen, and the kid they hired to play him was, like, a decent actor. Yes, he was adorable. But he was Um, completely plot irrelevant. Yes, there was,
1: yeah, there's a lot He gets used as a bargaining chip. There's a lot of filler in this movie. The, like, they have a point that should be the climax of the movie that is halfway through the movie, where, like, Maximus takes off his helmet and he in the in the Coliseum and he's like hey buddy look it's me yeah they shouldn't have
0: they shouldn't have done that that early
1: no that is like that is like should be like part of the climax yeah so uh I feel like yeah this was a good movie for like having interesting things to talk about
0: yeah I'm not gonna say don't watch this movie if you just want to like watch a dumb action flick that like is only as racist as you would expect from a Hollywood action flick made in 2000, go watch Gladiator, I guess. Uh-huh. It's on
1: Netflix. It, unlike Troy, Fall of the City, is competent filmmaking. Yeah. But I'm not going to give it more than it was competent, you know? It Three was, stars out of five. Yeah, it was competent for 2000. You know, the set pieces look really nice. If you enjoy a good, like, historical epic set piece, the first scene where they're doing all these like this like bloody battle looks great
0: yeah we didn't hate gladiator no but we didn't love it no (laughs) and hopefully for next episode we'll get to watch something or read something or listen to something that we like a little bit better as if we don't have control over that thanks for listening to classically trained This podcast is hosted and produced by Allison Marlin and Julia Peroni on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. You can listen and subscribe to this podcast on our website, classicallytrainedpod.podbean.com, and anywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to reach us, we can be emailed at classicallytrainedpod at gmail.com, contacted via Twitter at classicallypod, or you can leave a review. Finally, some acknowledgements. We'd first like to thank Nicholas Judy and Dark Fantasy Studio, who produced our wonderful music. We would also like to thank the Society for Classical Studies for their help in supporting this podcast. And, finally, we would like to thank you and anyone else who's ever bought us a coffee. Our next episode in 2 weeks will be on the musical Hades Town. As always, be well and do not under any circumstances do as the Romans did.